All right. Now, <clears throat> we had kind of a mix last night. Uh, there was part of the crowd that treated me, well, really poorly. And uh, another group thought I was amazingly funny. Um, and, of course, I only need one. I only need one person to think that I'm funny. So do you want the joke or not? We can go. All right. You convinced me. <clears throat> so you guys, I've told you my dad died about a year ago. And my dad was my hero. But dad was very quiet. He was from a generation that didn't say much. You just didn't know much about him. In fact, I learned more about him probably in the last three months about his deployment in Korea, uh, about uh, how he got to Korea and back, and about his growing up. All of a sudden, he starts telling me, but dad went to work, made the money, paid the bills, and took us on vacation. That's, you know, that's what dads did, I guess. And uh, dad's with Jesus now, and he's good. But I just found out, it's been a year after he died, and I just found out that my dad was a mime. I mean, you'd think that's something that somebody would have told me along the line. But he never spoke of it. <laughs> Mom, I'm sorry. Mom's watching this service, so. All right. So we're going to be in Genesis 31. And in Genesis 31, where we left off last week... Um, Jacob uh, had been deceived by Laban. We, we know Jacob's name means deceiver. Jacob's a liar. Uh, we talked about how everybody in the story is lying. Jacob's lying. Laban's lying to him. Laban changes his wages ten times. Jacob works 20 years for his uncle Laban. Seven years for Leah, seven years to marry Rachel, and then six more years he stays just because that's where he is. And Honestly, Jacob's doing well because every time Laban tries to cheat him, God flips the script and blesses Jacob. And Jacob pretty much ends up with everything. And then when we left the story last week, Jacob was in a high-speed chase leaving town. Uh, he's got his wives on camels. He's moving thousands of sheep and all of his grandchildren. Now, that doesn't move very quick. No matter where you're at. They're moving from Syria. They've crossed the river. And they're now into North Jordan. Which is the, the Gilead region today. Um, and as they're going. They're gone for three days. Before Laban realizes they're gone. Again it's an agrarian culture. Laban's on the other side. He's acres away. Miles away. And Laban sets off after him. Now let me assure you what's going on here. Laban until, intends to kill Jacob. There's no doubt about it. Laban's going to kill Jacob, bring Rachel and Leah and all of his grandchildren back home, along with all of the sheep that, even though God has made the transfer, Laban still thinks they're his. But the whole story is full of one word, deceit. Jacob's lying, Rachel's lying, Laban's lying. Everybody in the story is lying. And when you live in a culture that has developed that, and we live in that culture today where everything you hear is meant to deceive you. And if you haven't figured that out yet, you're, you're really missing the story here. Now, there's only one, there's only one truth that you can count on, and that's the Word of God. I noticed I didn't say the church. I wouldn't trust the church as far as I could throw it. I wouldn't trust a pastor as far as I could throw me. But I trust the word of God because that is the only consistent through history 
is the authority of the word of God. So don't get your messages from anywhere else because I promise you, everybody else in culture is trying to deceive you. A culture that can't tell if it's a baby or not. A culture that can't decide if it's a man or not. A woman or not. They can't define marriage. Interestingly enough, very simply, God describes all of that. Because it really is pretty simple. But when the deception machine gets to moving, all of a sudden, you got a whole culture that believes all the deceptions instead of truth. That's the danger of deceit. And James warns us this way. James said the tongue is a deadly evil. He said it is the most dangerous thing in the world. My tongue? Yeah. Well, it's controlled by this. And you have to understand, Satan has but one plan, and that is to deceive you, to pull you away from the gospel, to destroy your family, to destroy your marriage, destroy your children, your grandchildren. That's Satan's plan. It's all done through deception. So in this story, we've got Jacob, his two wives, Rachel and Leah, all the grandkids, and we've got Laban and his army of men over here. And after three days, Laban sets out, and he catches up with him. And the night before he's ready to confront Jacob, God appears to Laban and says, Laban, don't you say anything to Jacob, good or bad. In other words, you're not going to kill Jacob. That's where we pick up the story. If you'll stand out of respect for God's word. We begin in verse 42. This is Jacob speaking. Jacob said, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty handed and you would have killed me. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. And last night he rebuked you. Jacob knows what God said to Laban. And Laban answered, the women are my daughters, the children are my children and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do about these daughters of mine? Or about the children that they've born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, go gather stones. So they took stones and piled them up in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Shahadutha. And Jacob called it Gilead, but they both mean the same thing, a witness. This heap is a witness between you and me today. That is why it's called Galeed. It was also called Mizpah because he said, May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. Now, can we stay on that for a minute? Verse 49. If you grew up in the, in the 80s, if you were dating in the 80s, this may still be going on. But you'll see this kind of stuff on jewelry. You would see a husband have part of it or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Uh, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. Doesn't it sound romantic? But here's what it means. If you get on my side or I get on your side, we're going to kill each other. It's not exactly meant for marriage. I'm just, that's just, that's just for, it might be. That's, uh, I'm going to stay away from that one. Okay. <laughs> If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take any wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. 
Laban also said to Jacob, here is the heap and here is the pillar that I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And then he left and returned home. You can be seated. Now it's been said of the millions of laws that America has on the books, local, state, federal, millions of laws, if we would just obey the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't need any of the rest of them. Now, simply put, everything I'm saying is, you shall not lie. That's it. That's what, that's what God gave to Moses. Now you think about, <clears throat> why is it so terrible that we would have the Ten Commandments posted in our school system? How terrible would it be if a kid every day walked by and said, you shall not lie. And hey guys, this is from God. This is, this is from the Bible. I mean, what kind of damage would that do to a kid? What kind of damage could that do to a school? Now, I've talked to people on the school board, and here's their rationale. Listen to this. Well, we don't need God's backing. We just tell the kids that we don't lie. Okay, now let me help you. <clears throat> let me help you. So you've told the kid since the day he was born that he's just a bunch of cells that crawled up out of a slimy sea. He's a product of evolution. He has no divine being. He has no divine presence in him. He is just an accident sitting here. You've told him that he can do whatever he wants. And then when he cusses you out, you say, well, you can't do that. Based on whose authority? Well, mine. I'm your teacher. So? Mine. I'm your mother. So? Mine. I'm the principal. So? Oh, you can punish them, but without the moral directive of God backing it up, your word means nothing because you already told them that you're nothing and I'm nothing. So why should I keep any law? What would any law be without the foundational presence of God? So what happens in this story is you see the consequences of deceit. And deceit will destroy everything it touches. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I did read the story. They interviewed people and they asked them how many times they lied. And they said up to a thousand times a week. And I'm like, I try not to talk a thousand times a week. But and that, that means pretty much your whole life's a lie. You know how it is. Once you tell a lie, you have to tell another lie to cover it, another lie to cover that. And deceit erodes your word. See, when Jacob first went to Laban, it's his uncle. They had a great relationship. He's going to marry Rachel. They have, everything is good. He hires him. He's working for his uncle. But then Jacob begins, or Laban begins to lie to Jacob. And then Jacob is deceiving to Laban. And pretty soon, all the trust is gone. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, above all else, the heart is deceptively wicked. Who can understand? Now, let me help you with that, all right? What comes more natural, godliness or sinfulness? 
Because sinfulness comes easy, doesn't it? I got a PhD in sin. I'm good at it. You know, it takes effort to forgive somebody. It takes effort to be thankful. It takes effort to be loving. It takes effort to be kind. Now, if you'd like me to sin, that takes no effort at all. Because I'm not blaming Adam, but Adam started it. Adam opened the door. I got my sin. You got your sin. But sin is natural to where we are right now. Only through what Jesus did on the cross can we flip that script and say, I am not a natural man. I'm a supernatural man. I now act like Jesus, not like myself. But that old nature, what, what is my old nature? My heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Oh, that's greed, that's sexual perversion, that's my mouth, that's lust. What, wherever you want to, wherever you want to go with it, the heart of man is wicked. So don't expect anything else. So when you hear these preachers saying, oh, you're just good. You're living your best life now. Really? If I'm living my best life now, you must not be going where I'm going after this life. Because the best life is when I get into the presence of Jesus, not now. That Maserati, that, that Jaguar, that Rolls Royce, the house, none of that's going to heaven. Do you know that? None of that goes. It's a crazy world we live in. But deceit will destroy trust. And that's what happened between Jacob and Laban. And it's what happens with a lot of people. It can happen with a husband and wife. It can happen with a job. It can happen with your boss. It can happen in a, in a school setting. It can happen everywhere. But deceit, once it's put out there, is awfully hard to get back. And it's so crazy that they end up... Again, this is not like a little bonfire that you and I would build. Hey... Grandkids, go get all the big rocks you can find. Laban tells his men, go get all the big rocks. They build this huge mound, this huge heap, and say, look, here's the deal. From now on, you cross this line, I'll kill you. You cross this line, I'll kill you. How about that for trust? You stay on your side of the world, I'll stay on my side of the world. And it cost Laban everything. Because deceit will cost you your relationships. How many marriages have been destroyed because somebody wouldn't tell the truth? Because somebody was living a lie. What would happen if you decided, I'm going to flip the script and I'm going to stop this behavior. I'm going to start telling the truth. I'm going to act like a Christian. Now listen, when you do, you're going to be vulnerable. Because sometimes we've been lying for so long. First person we got to tell the truth to is ourselves. Got to start there before we can go back and say, hey, boss, I got to tell you something. Hey, spouse, I got to tell you something. Hey, kids, I got to be honest with you. And you know what? A lot of times you'll be amazed that the other person already knows. The only person being lied to all along has been you. But it cost Laban his relationship. Laban will never see his daughters or his grandchildren again. And Laban will never be heard from again. That's the end of the story. Laban will stay on his side of the world and Jacob will stay on his side and he'll never see his family again. All because he couldn't tell the truth. All because of a lie. First Peter chapter 3 verse 10 says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from, say it, deceitful speech. Now, let me just digress a minute on that doesn't have to be a lie 
It can just be deceitful. Well, I didn't really lie. Yeah, you just didn't tell the truth. You just went around the story. You just made sure that you didn't say what really happened. Or for Christians, let's go back to where I started when I walked out here about uh, about sex trafficking, about abortion. Um, too often the church will say, oh yeah, we're, we're against that. I mean, who could be for child sex trafficking? But we don't do anything about it. That's terrible. Oh, that's terrible. Listen, I didn't send you that movie so you'd say, oh, that's terrible. I sent you the movie to say, let's do something. I was in the Dominican Republic two months ago. The day before we got there, Tim Tebow's group had just rescued 250 children that were being trafficked from Venezuela into the Dominican Republic. How many of you heard about that story on the news? It's almost like people in the news didn't want you to know that story. You just give that some thought. That would be, what's the word I'm looking for? Deceitful. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people high up are covering themselves in a whole lot of these stories. And again, our job, church, is to turn the light on. Our job is to turn the light on. And the one line in that movie that will get, well, there's two, but the, the, the real line in the movie is God's children are not for sale. You'll hear that. Um, you'll hear that throughout. But when they ask the question, why are you doing this? And Tim Ballard, who's the, the guy who actually did it, he said, what if it was your daughter? That's why the church can't just sit idly by and go, oh, that's really tragic. Yes, I'm against that. If we even have the guts to open our mouth, we got to stand up, church. So what is the answer? The answer is found in the last part because deceit destroys everything. It'll destroy the trust. It'll destroy your relationships. And trust will ultimately destroy everything that's left. Because when your word means nothing and your relationships mean nothing, then deceit will take out absolutely everything. And there'll be, there'll be nothing left of a culture, of a society, because nobody can trust anybody. Nobody can trust anybody's word on, on any topic that comes down. So how do I fix this? Good question. One word is the answer. The word is repentance. A word not talked about even in the church very much. Uh, because repentance means I'm wrong. Repentance means I've got to turn around. Repentance means I'm not doing this and I've got to start doing this. Repentance means I'm doing this and I've got to stop doing this. Repentance means I'm going to turn from my way and start going toward God's way. Now Paul said this in Colossians 2. If you don't get anything else, memorize this verse. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Hollow and deceptive philosophy, the, the thought of thoughts of men, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. When you listen to what's going on, even in the churches today, People are saying, well, our book of rules says this. Our book of rules says this. Our, our piece of paper says this. I was watching one of these debates online. And in the middle of all these learned people quoting from their book of this and their book of that, 20-year-old boy stood up, walked up to the mic, and he said, I'd like to read to you guys from Romans chapter 6. 
And I was like, good for you, kid. And he read the passage where it says, listen, we're all sinners. But through the blood of Jesus, everybody can be saved. And he said, if the church no longer believes that there is sin and it needs to be repented of and that Jesus is still the answer, he said, then we don't have a church. Ironically, he didn't get any applause. 20-year-old kid with some guts just took the book up. See, this is the only book. The rest of it, the rest of it, man-made philosophies. And when you look at the world today, all right, I'll give you a quote. <laughs> they ask a, a guy in Hollywood, they ask him, he said, is Hollywood as dangerous as we think it is? He said, multiply your worst fears by a hundred. Now, those are the people that we're letting influence. We're watching their movies, TV, their music. He said, multiply your worst fears by a hundred. Church, don't listen to the culture. The culture builds itself on hollow, deceptive philosophy built on human traditions rather than on, on Christ, the word of God. That's exactly right. Uh, Chris Pratt, who somehow made it in Hollywood, he's hung in there. Jurassic Park and some other things. Chris Pratt is a Christian. And he goes, guys, look. He said, they went after Jesus. They persecuted Jesus. They killed Jesus. And he said, Jesus told you before he left that if they persecuted me, you can expect them to come after you too. Because we're shining a spotlight on all of the dark, evil stuff happening in our world today. So, I don't know who needs what when it comes to this stuff about deception. Do you need to grab a hold of your tongue and stop saying some things? Do you need to start saying some truthful things? Do you need to look yourself in the mirror and get some things squared away? Is it going to do something to help with your marriage? Is it going to build trust back with your boss? I, I don't know what you're going to do with this message, but I'll trust God. I trust God to bring it out because deceitfulness only destroys lives, families, churches. It destroys everything it touches, which is, of course, Satan's plan. But truth, Jesus' truth, sets us free. So, Father, as we process this, I don't know what you want to do with it in each life. I don't know what you do with it in each marriage, each business position. But I'm praying that we'll become people of integrity. People who will take the high road. As C.S. Lewis said, if you want something easy, don't become a Christian. Because we realize the toughest thing we can do is to get to the point where we stop this behavioral, natural sin and become more like you, Jesus. So hear our prayers in Jesus' name.